The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. This episode is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com. Get headphones, earbuds, and accessories from TweakedAudio.com. Just enter the discount code CAFCOMICS. That's all one word at the checkout. You'll get 33% off your entire order, free worldwide shipping, and a limited lifetime warranty on everything you buy. That's TweakedAudio.com. And now... It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts, John and Steven. Thank you, this is Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Stephen Brown. And I think we finally got a break from the news. Not not the not, actual yeah. news. I mean, clarify that because no, we still have a uh, we still have a president who's tweeting classified photos on yeah, Twitter. He has the absolute right to do that, John. Yes. Uh, so you know uh, we're still horrible, yeah. horribly on fire. Uh, but we are not uh, under a barrage of announcements. Um, although there were a couple of big sales, and unfortunately, by the time this comes out. I'm guessing your Labor Day weekend will be over because you probably won't listen to this on Labor Day. Nope. Um, so there's some great sales going on right now that you will probably miss. Uh, Disney Plus is having like a basically buy two years, get one year free if you become a D23 member, which is free. And it was also uh, the expo that they had last week where they announced everything. So there's benefits to being a D23 neighbor. Comixology is having like a half off any Marvel and like a huge DC sale. So I've been catching up on a lot of stuff that I haven't read, like Batman Damned and um, House of X and Powers of X. And uh, there's some other stuff in there. Oh, uh, the Batman Who Laughs, like a lot of things that people have been talking about where I was like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. So that's kind of been the huge thing. And then Mezco announced yet another Batman figure that I'm like, well, there's a hundred dollars I no longer have. <laughs> So we had like a quiet week. So uh, Steve and I just came back today. We went up to Libertyville, which is about about 40 miles away from where we record it, because there's a museum there. The was it the Bess Brower Dunn Museum? Yeah, I think so. It was like uh, it was like a, it, it's was in this building that was like a modern office park type building, but it was like a little local museum where they had, like, dinosaurs they found in the area and Indian artifacts and Civil War uniforms, and then they had a bunch of Alex Ross originals. Yeah, they, uh, um, he, I don't know if he knows the owner or how they even go about setting this up I think, so far away I think away he from... lives up there because he does live well, he in he lives suburbs. in Evanston. Oh, well, that is north. Yeah, it's still a hike from Evanston to get To Liberty, there. though, yeah. yeah. Um, regardless, this was a Marvelosity exhibit, so this was an exhibit essentially based on the book that you, me, and Marco went and did the yes, signing. that we got at, the signing for uh, it. We're, we're looking at that now. No, it was at Chicago Comics. Oh, I'm sorry, Chicago uh, Comics. And it was great. I think we told that story before that I knew, I met Alec Ross in passing in the 90s when I was doing comics, 
and he remembered me at the very least. He remembered all the friends we had in common. Yeah. So that was a great day. Uh, he wasn't there because it's this is an exhibit that's been running all summer. Yeah, I think he was there uh, doing a signing periodically throughout the exhibit. The exhibit runs ran. It'll be over the this coming the weekend. Yeah. So you have one weekend yeah. if you are near Libertyville, <laughs> Illinois. Right. If you want to see about forty Alex Ross originals. But it was laid out really well. It was it was actually bigger than I thought because reading about it, I thought, oh, oh, this must be like a room in a library or it's just a gallery space. But it was built out like an entire real exhibit. Yeah, it, it um, definitely. Yeah, it looks like essentially like uh, an exhibit you'd see at any museum. Um, you know, they have those like special exhibits. They do it like uh, this um, a field museum. Um, it's not quite right. as large as the field museum because obviously this is a smaller building. Um, but yeah, they did a really good job kind of like laying it out. It's It was a lot like the Jim Henson exhibit I just went to at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens when I was in New York last month. And that's still running. Where It was about that size where that one was like, here's a Muppet from 1975. And, right. here, and here are some sketches. But it was about, it was, uh, was it two full rooms? Yeah, and then yeah, I think about two full rooms. I'd say it, I was more. There's two things that I was. Uh, I'm very interested always to see is uh, the first thing is like the sketches. You don't really see. There were a lot more of those. Than a I lot more really. sketches. Um, and then these aren't reproductions like you'll see online or in a book. These are the real sketches. So you're seeing at the exact size he he's drawing some of this stuff, which is was really awesome to see. And then the other thing that I've only ever seen pictures of. Um, is those little paper dolls. That was amazing. That was the most surprising thing because, as we said, um, if you've seen the Marvelocity book, there are these dolls he made when he was a kid. Yeah. He was a Mego fan when he was a kid, but Mego, the Mego line was fairly limited. There were a lot of major characters they didn't do. Uh, he made the whole Fantastic Four and Iron Man, which they did do. Yeah. But also, they didn't do any X Men in the 70s. So he made like. A Colossus and a Wolverine and, and a Cyclops. And I didn't... There are pictures in the Marvelocity book. Yeah. The but, book has the pictures on, but they actually had the actual... Dolls. Dolls there, because I guess his mom or he he saved them or whatever. And they're they're just kind of like really kind of charming. Yeah. It's like a little kid really wanted these toys. They didn't have other ones. And then he just made them. And they, they look pretty good. I mean, they're... A kid made them, right. but this is a very talented kid. Clearly, I I wasn't making stuff. And like he made this them from scratch. He didn't like customize. Right. Other, it's not like he took. It's not like he took They're a made Captain out of, like, America construction paper or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like they were. They look like scarecrows. Yeah. And they were bigger than I thought. They were about Mego size. So they're in the book. They look like they're tiny things like mini mates. But these were like eight inches. And as I said, solid. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Uh, and then the other thing uh, in that same vein is uh, I'd seen this in um, before Marvelocity. I must have seen it in a backup in one of the Marvel Marvels, the reprints they did was that he'd constructed a Galactus helmet. Yeah. And out of like cardboard and duct tape. <clears throat> And uh, used it for uh, figuring out the angles for it because, you know, the problem. Yeah, put it on a model when he did Marvels. And uh, they had that there, which was really cool to kind of see it. And then you pointed out it's like the sides of this thing were just like. uh, They were yogurt cups. They were yogurt cups. And the back of FedEx box. Yeah, the back had a FedEx logo on it. Yeah. And And it it was, um, I took both my boys and Sebastian was like, why isn't it purple? I'm like, 
He knew what purple looked like. He yeah, didn't know he didn't what know the shape was what from, this looks angle. Like from yeah. different angles. Um, yeah. So definitely uh, a really, really cool uh, exhibit to go to. I wish we'd gone to it sooner. So the, and you know, to, so dozen, promote it. Yeah, to the dozen people that listen to us, uh, it would have been cool. Um, if you haven't seen it, if you do get a chance, obviously everything in that exhibit uh, looks like it's in the Marvelocity book. Um, yeah, but the original it was interesting f- with the originals because there's a whole wall for Marvelocity. One of the big things he did he did something like fifteen or eighteen uh, covers. new covers for this that were not shown anywhere else, and they're all they're all like headshots of major Marvel. Characters. Yeah, they're portraits. They had all of the originals there. Yeah, and what surprised me was they're not that much bigger than the book. Right. Like I, I always thought he was working on these huge canvases because his detail is so sharp. But they're about the size of a comics page that, yeah. that you would pencil. They're not much bigger. Yeah. If, uh, any of our listeners have seen um, like the IDW reprints are really cool of like the artist edition books. Um, if you've ever seen those, you have an idea of how big comic books are actually drawn at. And these paintings, they're a little bit bigger, uh, but not by much. Um and just to be able to see the actual like brushwork versus you know the, the reprintings of it is and that was the other thing incredible. that surprised me was it's not the paint's not very thick. I, um, it I honestly thought these were all prints. Like when when we walked into the room and we saw all of those paintings, I was like, oh okay, these are all prints. And then we'll go back to a room that has originals, right? And then you pointed out like, no, these are the originals. And then you, when you went up really closely. You could see the brushstrokes. Yeah. And that made me think that Altros is so prolific because, you know, people wait years and years and years for him to do a book, but he's doing covers every month. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't really think he's ever not working. I Obviously, if you're paying attention to comics now, he's got a couple of the big cover gigs, which is He's fantastic. on Spider-Man for a long time. He did Spider-Man covers. He's they doing re- Avengers covers. He, was he doing, does a lot of variant covers still. He's doing Captain America for a while. He's doing those right now. He still. did the whole Batman run when uh, Grant Morrison was writing it. The yep. Batman RIPs were all his. Yep, he did a long run on Superman for Superman covers. Uh, JSA covers he was doing for years. Um, yeah, and that's that's the sweetest gig in comics. Covers are easy to do. You get more time to do them, you make more money. And you make more them. money doing yeah. them. And uh, the, the interiors is much harder to do. Uh, he can do whatever he wants. He's very good at both. Um, but um, yeah, he's always doing covers. Yeah, Rarely so, do you see so when I got up to those paintings really, really closely... It made me realize that he's got to be so efficient now because he's he keeps cranking them out. And it's such a high quality that I don't think he's doing a ton of experimenting with different paints and thickness and brush strokes. It seems like he's got it down to a science where, as you said, the that original looked like the print. Yeah. It, it reminded me of something that they used to say about Jack Kirby was when the guys like Neil Adams and Bill Sienkiewicz, when the illustrators in the 70s started getting bigger— there was um, – they started to look down on some of the Silver Age artists, which it sounds crazy today, but there was a time where people thought Kirby was silly. Yeah, it's because he Because he didn't do illustrative style, and obviously public opinion came around to that. But w- what it was was Kirby knew exactly what would print. So all of these guys – like we're talking about uh, when you and I looked at John Byrne originals, and you can see in the IDW – book uh his x-men book and especially his fantastic four book yeah there there was all this detail that was lost in the book like there the thing that keeps 
coming back to me about John Byrne was there's a two page spread in Fantastic Four where the Fantastic Four is on one side, Doctor Doom's on the other side, and they're in a Latvian village. And when you see the original artwork, every window is filled in. There's people, there's like details on the gargoyles, like way, way back. Yeah. And it impressed me that I was like, oh my God, look at all of this work he put into it. And it didn't even show up in the book. And now that I think about it, I'm like, well, that's kind of depressing that he probably spent all this time working on things that didn't show it up never, in the book. Yeah, you and, don't have the detail for him. But Kirby had been doing it so long that Kirby wasn't going to draw anything that wouldn't show up in the book. He was right. being paid to draw a book. He wasn't being paid to do uh, to do an artwork, piece of artwork page. Yeah. He was paid to create the story that would go in a comic book. So he didn't waste his time anymore. And I felt that way about Alex Ross's paintings. I'm like, he's not wasting his time doing anything that won't be reproduced. He's he's making sure that he's doing exactly what that finished product is going to be. And he knows that finished product is going to be a print. Yeah. And he even knows that very early in the process. So a lot of the stuff they had there, they'd have his thumbnails next to the finished piece. And it's uh, other than a lot bigger and in color, it's identical. Yeah, the, and I, his pencils were really tight. Yeah, and you know he's obviously been doing it a long time. He's uh, painting and inking himself, so he knows what he needs as far as the information. But it's like there's nothing really lost between the page, the pencils, and then to to finish paints. Now, and usually guys, when they start inking themselves, their pencils get looser and looser right. because they're like, "Well, I know what I want." Yeah, like I'm not gonna. A lot of guys do penciling tight so the inker won't interpret anything wrong right so they're just like okay and this shadow has to be here this sinew in the arm has to be here and when they start inking themselves they're like i know where the shadow's gonna be so let me just block out the figures yeah and he's he's i mean he's got shading that. in his own pencils he does and i think it's unnecessary because obviously he's the only one gonna paint it so he knows but i think uh he's um that's how invested I think he is. It's like it's kind of like a, it's an OCD complex, I think, because it's like there are quicker ways Alex Ross can work. I think he's not very interested and we don't know. This is just like speculation based on interviews and what I've seen in his work is that it's like this guy's just interested in doing things how he wants to do it. You know, it's like when he's painting, say, the Avengers, he'll do the modern lineup. Sure. Yeah. But it's like if he's doing like a variant cover it's going to be the Avengers he wants, you know? Well, he always like, goes back to the Bronze Age. Yes. In both Marvel and DC. He's, yeah, he's very yeah. much... I think it had been... Um, uh, I had seen maybe one image. He might have done it a second time in a different book. Uh, but I I think I've only ever seen him paint Kyle Rayner in the that costume. He had that first costume with the crab mask. Yeah. One time. Yeah. And even the Flash with the whited out eyes like um the second flash had i'm sorry the third flash had in uh the wally 90s west, yeah. wally west uh he did like one shot of that justice league i've never really seen him paint those versions of the characters now, again it's always the classic versions of the it characters goes, it goes back to what he experienced as a kid because he's early 50s at most so the stuff that hit him was Super Friends from DC. Yeah. And he talks in, uh, well, there are plaques with quotes. He talks about how Spider-Man on the Electric Company was a huge influence on yeah, him. Yeah. More think, than like the 60s Spider-Man. Well, I think Spider-Man Sp Electric Company was the first time he had seen Spider-Man. That was his first, 
his first exposure to Spider-Man is Spider-Man and the Electric Company. Right. And, uh, and that he, idea you can kind of see is a guy in a real costume. Yeah. You know, it doesn't look great. No, he was, in a, he was in tights. And uh, there, there's a longstanding family rumor that uh, one of my cousins was close friends with the guy who was Spider-Man in oh, the electric yeah? company. But I've never corroborated it. So, yeah, don't, because um, if it's not true, it's not cool. But it's literally cool. like a guy with a dancer's body in, right. in a dance game. You When you owned the store, you had... We had a had, um, a mannequin with the Spider-Man costume. Yes, that and, your son would no longer probably fit in. Uh, I think he probably fit perfectly into it. Uh, but I kept looking at it like, oh, I just got to lose ten more pounds, and then I can get it. Yeah, that. I think yeah, it was. <laughs> it's a smaller uh, thing than you think it was. You had a stretchy. Yeah, not not in the places that you wanted <laughs> to. Well, I don't stretch in the places I really want to. Yeah. But I think that idea that Spider-Man and Electric Company is like, it's a guy in a suit. Yep. You could run around, he's, you're seeing the wrinkles in the fabric. And it's like all of Alex Ross's superheroes are in spandex. They're in tights. They're all in tights. Yeah, and there's a video. You know? um, there's a, a little area where you can sit on benches and watch a video, which basically every museum exhibit has. Uh, I was talking about the Play It Loud exhibit that I saw at the Met in New York last month. And they did a really interesting thing with these videos where the the exhibit was all these classic guitars. They had, you know, Jimmy Page's guitar and Jimi Hendrix and yeah. Kurt Cobain and John Lennon. And um, for for a guitar geek like me, where my my guitar geekness runs as deep as like my action figures and superhero comics. But uh, mostly they were just guitars and cases. Yeah. But there was one room where you went in there. It was dark. And there was a central pillar that had all of someone's gear. So they were four. They had four people: Jimmy Page, Keith Richards, Eddie Van Halen, and Tom Morello. And they were on one each surface of this pillar, and they had all of their equipment. So it was their guitar and their pedals on the floor, and the amplifier, yeah, and you know the power strip, and it was like exactly what they used on stage. And above that, they had a screen of a five-minute interview. Of him talking about that, like Keith Richards talking about, wow, this is why I like this guitar, and this is what I use, and then you could look at the actual guitar. So every may any any kind of museum exhibit has, has that now. Yeah. So there's a there's a really nicely done documentary that interviews both Alex Ross and Chip Kidd, and Chip Kidd is a legend in the industry who does layouts for these books. He did the classic Batman animated book in the yeah. late '90s. He did uh, Batman Collected. Um, he's done, he did mythology with Alex Ross. Like he's this guy that knows how to do a coffee table book. Yeah. He knows how to do a coffee table, but I, I could be mistaken about this. I'm fairly certain not to say anything bad about the guy, but remember those terrible variant covers they did when convergence was going on, where it was huh. like half the cover was just one color. It was like blue. And then the other half was oh, cause they were like fading into yeah, it. Yeah. He did those. I can see that that kind of looks like his covers, and I feel like his real gift is laying out an entire book. Right. Um, there is, by the way, if you want to hear Chip Kid, we have never met him, but there is an excellent episode of Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast where um, they interview Chip Kid, and he's actually he's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and all what do they talk about? All Gilbert really wants to talk about is the Adam West Batman show. Yeah, that's all he really cares about. Yeah. So it's like he's not 
Gilbert does not care about the comics. No, and I then think he did. Every now and then, he just goes, you know, I was Mr. Mitchell Pitlick on Superman the Animated Series. Yeah. And then he's off comics again. Right. Uh, he's been telling this rumor, and I may have told it. He Anyone involved with the Adam West Batman show, and he had Adam West on once years ago, he will cut somebody off in the middle of a story. And he goes, did you hear that Cesar Romero would like boys to come in and throw orange wedges at his ass. What? And I also heard he liked to stand in a bucket of warm water when they did it. And he's asked Julie Newmar yeah. and Chip Kidd and Adam West. And everyone's just and like, what are you talking about? Every one of them said, no, I haven't heard that yeah. at all. And then he just goes, then he laughs. Yeah. <laughs> but he's obs- he's kind of obsessed with that. So he always goes back to Adam West. Batman show, but Chip Kid tells a lot of really cool, cool stories. They also talk a lot about like Mad Magazine because things like Mad Magazine National Lampoon has a crossover for his podcast. Right. One of the reasons I like that podcast. But Chip Kid's interviewed in it, and he said the thing that he said in that that was the most interesting to me was he said Alex Ross paints superheroes how they would look in real life, and I remember Neil Adams saying that at one point where he said if superheroes existed they would look how I drew them. And I'm like, eh, but would they know? Yeah. Would they be long and lean and angular the way you draw them? So when Chip Kid said that, I was like, yeah, I'm sure every artist thinks that. But then he went on to say, it's something the movies don't even do. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. And, um, and I don't think it's a bad thing. It's like, Alex Ross paints the Bronze Age Exactly as it was in the exact costumes they wear, except like, right. what does it look as like we if said, it's realistic? It's the 70s. Like right. he, he, he does Marvel and DC in the 70s. He'll use those versions of characters, those costumes. Yeah. And occasionally, obviously, he's changing stuff if he's doing like Earth X or Kingdom Come or something. But like his bread and butter is like Bronze Age, Marvel and DC. Um, the movies, those costumes don't look like they do in the comics none of them do not a single movie costume looked exactly like it did in the comic because the big thing the movies have the problem with and this goes all the way back to that first spider-man movie is they put texture on the spider-man suit so that when it was rendered as a through 3d uh motion graphics character uh it's easier for the renderers it looks less fake because there's there's a texture to it so if you look at a lot of the superhero costumes uh, like Superman Returns, it's that it's not just blue he's wearing. It's actually a bunch of little S shields. Right. They're really tiny, but it gives it a bit of a texture so that it's easier for well, the Well, and then also the light just doesn't bounce off of it. Right. It reminds me of um, like Nightcrawler and X-Men 2. They have yeah. that whole thing of like, I have all these tattoos. And like Hellboy, anybody that I've seen red, Hellboy has like a scar. Right. And it's like, it's something for the light to catch on. So it's yep. not just bouncing off this color, primary palette. color. I actually will take it back. Uh, Christopher Reeves Superman is the only comic accurate superhero costume uh, in like major superhero motion pictures. Yeah. And everybody else is wearing a version of the costume. The closest we've gotten was um, Captain America, the first Avenger. And they made it briefly, look stupid. I don't think they made it look stupid. I think they this they said here is. No, they made it. They made it look stupid because it's when he's doing the fundraiser. But it's but does like, it look? He, 
Each bond you buy is a bullet in your best guy's gun. I watched it again last night. Yeah. And he punches out Hitler from five feet away. They made him look like a dork because then then the next scene they cut to him in front of real soldiers and they throw shit at him. Right. But he is wearing a comic accurate costume. Yes. And I think that was them saying, look, a comic accurate costume won't work. Yeah. The most comic accurate. uh, I agree with you about Christopher Reed Superman. I was also going to say the Adam West Batman, which was a television show. But right, all of those guys were pretty comic. Yeah, accurate. you know, Frank Ocean's running around in green tights. They all tights. looked a little ridiculous. You yeah. know, the Iron Man armor is arguably comic accurate because it's very close to Adi Gravenov. It's also a modern design. version, right? Alex Ross does not paint that Iron Man armor. No, in fact, so Alex mm. Ross has been doing a lot of covers. We talked about he did a lot of Iron Man covers recently, and he uh, he mostly paints the 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 main iron man armor the classic the bronze age bronze yeah. age iron man which is like the best armor of all time regardless of what your opinions are silver centurion uh no uh but he did paint a modern version of that armor he actually designed it. it's a really cool cover of like he's ripping open the hull of like a ship and he's backlit and his arc reactors lit up and it looks like a combination of like it's like what would the the uh, bronze age armor look like in modern times there's like little rivets in it and stuff it's kind of like that mezco figure yes it's a lot like the idea of like those mezco figures where it's like here's our version of like the classic armor kind of updated and um he's actually redesigned iron man's armor a few times the iron man armor used in the kurt busiek run in the 90s was uh designed by alex ross as a pitch that him and kurt busiek put together for what they should do to iron man and there are pages of that in this exhibit yeah and it's actually 1991s which is a good like three years before marvel right and they have like sketches that he did he did a whole design for like madame mass the crimson dynamo black widow i mean it was a formal pitch he he gave to marvel and you see kind of a lot of this stuff over the years uh the counterpart to um Marvelocity is a book called Mythology. We've talked about before. The I have DC to get that book. book. I still you have, it. have to get this book. Maybe I'm, I think I'm going to buy it after this podcast. You should. Amazon still has it. Yeah, it's great. I was going to buy it today. That was the only drawback of this exhibit is it's so it's based Marvel. on Marvelocity for the new book that I was like, oh, I would have loved to walk into another room that had all of his Justice League posters. And yeah. they did some stuff in the gift shop. Like the um, he did No Man's Land Zero and it was eight images of Batman that were lenticular, but he did eight separate paintings. He did that also for Superman. Yeah. It was Superman like taking off his shirt and, and, he flies and flying away. Yeah. Panel. But he did separate paintings. I was like, I would have loved to have seen that as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, both books contain, um, <clears throat> which essentially is like a really good peek behind the curtain. And they both contain different pitches he's done over the years for different characters. So, like, his early Iron Man pitches in the Marvelocity, as we mentioned, uh, and also in Marvelocity uh, recently, he pitched uh, Fantastic Four redesign. Here's what the yeah. costumes look like. Here's how to approach the coloring for the book. He redoes the logo. He actually does a lot of logos. We actually we had an argument about that because... Uh... Because I looked at all that and I was like, yeah, if I was the editor, I wouldn't buy that either. Oh, and yeah. And I'd, I'd green light anything this guy wants to I, do. I, I agree that he's one of the most talented people. But when I looked at those Fantastic Four pages, and I love the Fantastic Four, the problem that book has is staying relevant. And, and what too retro. What he did was very retro. And yeah. it looked gorgeous, but it was a 60s book. Yeah. And, you know, when you compare that against like what Hickman did, and Hickman's not the artist, on that book, it was Dale Eaglesham, but then it was a bunch of guys. So you can't right. really say it was an artist pitch. But like those white uniforms he did, 
Oh yeah, like, that's a modern Fantastic right. Four. Um, but the DC book, the mythology, has a lot of pitches he did over the years for different books that you know he'd get wind from one of the editors hey we're going to redesign the atom so then he'd have here's my atom design and then they'd either you know go with it or pick somebody else's or whatever they're doing um and that's what's really cool to see is kind of like we 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 see all this stuff that these guys put out not a lot of them are doing i think what alex ross is doing but the really big names like alex ross and hickman and some of these other guys working in comics they're pitching stuff constantly. Yeah. And they have a lot of ideas for it's different not unlike takes on the characters. It's not on movies and television. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to scheduling. A lot of it comes down to, you know, when you're speaking to the editor or a hundred other factors we're probably unaware of. Um, but it is interesting to kind of see, like, kind of, it's like a peek behind the curtain of, like, what could have been. Um, it's funny, too, because I never get that impression about comics up until, like, the 80s. I feel like in the 70s, it was like... It was like, Len Wein wants to leave Spider-Man. Marv Wolfman, would you like to work on Spider-Man? Sure, I'll give it a try. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think it will. And, and I think, like, that's that's it. And you really get the... I was reading an article about uh, Jerry Conway, who, you know, he's the, he's the writer that killed Gwen Stacy and created Firestorm and The Punisher. He's a legend in the industry. And they, they were saying that he wrote month to month. He was just oh, like, wow. like with Gwen Stacy, he was like, mm, I guess I'll kill her. Yeah. He, and then, and then I, next to she was like, well, I killed her. Uh, I guess Green Goblin's going to die. Yeah. Um, you know, and he probably had a long term plan in his head, but comics weren't like that then. You didn't go in and go, here's my two years on X-Men. Yeah, right. Like, and like it, Hickman's X-Men pitch was so big that all of the creative teams on X-Men knew their last issue. Because yeah. they're like, Hitch, Hickman has got this pitch and it's not done. So right. you get 10 months to write X-Men. Yeah, I think there's a couple guys like that. Like Grant Morrison probably shows up with a box full of notebooks and like, yeah. here's what I want to do with Batman. Grant Morrison draws a lot of his comics even. Yeah, I've seen that in um, uh, All-Star Superman. Yeah. has a lot of sketches he did of like design work. Um, but I, I think that's true of like the really high concept guys. Um, and I think, uh, I will say guys like Marv Wolfman and Len Wein, it's like, that's the first generation of comic book writers and artists that wanted to be in comic books. Do you know? Mm, yeah. And I think they were just happy to work on anything. Well, Roy Thomas was like the first fanfic writer. Right. And yeah. And all of the, cause everybody before that were pissed off that they weren't writing pulp novels or working in comic strips. They didn't have, right. they didn't have lofty ideals. I think. The yeah. Well, they wanted to be architects. You know, you hear that all the time is like Jack Kirby wanted to be yeah. uh, either comic book strip newspaper. Yeah, comic strips was where the money right. was. So That's, they weren't like those people were like the celebrities in New York. Yes. You know, art celebrities, at least. And if you weren't going to do that, the other gig that was really a uh, good moneymaker wasn't be, to be an architect. Right. And if you could it's draw like, comics, you could draw anything because you have to draw everything in comics, which is why it's so hard to do. Yeah. And there was always advertising. Neil Adams was doing right. a ton of illustration for advertising and he still does. Yeah. But Neil, Neil Adams, I think, was the first guy that was like his career was already above comics when he decided to do comics. Yeah. And I think he was another one of those guys like he wanted to be yep. in comics. Yeah. Um, and like Len Wein and Marv Wolfman would take these tours in high school because they were just two guys from Queens. I love those. Yeah. I, I love, love those guys so much. And I do this every time we talk about Marv Wolfman. But every time the interview, every time they interview him, he's like. 
He he just looks and sounds like Larry David's more introverted cousin. Yeah. Where he's just like, I thought that maybe we could have a guy that killed vampires, but he'd be a black guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's so charming. The and pan- Len Wein was like his cool friend. Yeah. Like, Len Wein was just like, hey, man, let's let's just do Green Lantern and let's make him, a, make him the black guy again. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were just so... I, I feel like they were like best friends. They were best friends, but I would love seeing the two of them walk into a cafeteria in high school arguing. Yeah. That's, it's one of the dreams that I have in my head. It's like, uh, we, I saw that. And panel. they would give books to each other all the time. They were each the editor in chief at Marvel and at DC at different times. Right. And they would just be like, so what book do you want to work on? Well, I don't know. I was thinking maybe I'd do some Iron Man. <laughs> and they're like, all right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the pitch. They did um that panel. I went to go see the about uh, uh Prez and uh, Wolfman. It was essentially like a Teen Titans reunion oh, yeah. panel, and the two of them talking about how they just meet at a diner every week, have a breakfast, a couple cups of coffee, and then talk about what to do in the book the next month. And it's just like it's such a charming uh picture yeah. of these two just like genuine comic book nerds talking about comics, making some of the best comics we've ever seen and probably not realizing the, the impact they were going to have. You it's, know what I mean? And it's funny. The opposite of that was Claremont and Byrne who are doing it the same way, but didn't like what the other one was doing. Right. Hated each other. Like uh, Byrne had many stories about like he would get his pencils back with the lettering on it. Cause back then the Marvel method, they wouldn't write the dialogue until the pages were done. Yeah. They just broke out the plot. Cause Stan was so busy. That's what, you know, and Stan, Stan was very type a, that he was just like, Galactus comes, and he eats a building, and thing goes, that's where my Aunt Petunia likes to shop for her flowers, and he punches Galactus, and I gotta go. <laughs> and then Jack Kirby was like, all right, now I'm drawing right, Galactus. <laughs> Here it is, here's a flower shop, and next to the flower shop, there's a subway. So the Human Torch is waiting on the subway, and he would come up with five more pages. But Claremont, you know, Claremont was very verbose, and there were a bunch of times where Byrne got pages back, and he was like, no, that's not what's happening at all when I drew this thing. Yeah. He's like, you, he's, he's like, he got so mad. There was, there was one panel. There's a splash panel of, of Colossus, like ripping out a tree trunk and burned, like burn drew, like burn drew him just lifting it. And he's like, Colossus is so strong that he doesn't care about lifting it. And then it came back and Claremont had put like, seven captions on it that were like and colossus's muscles are straining and then he put a word balloon he was like either my back or this tree will break and john Byrne was like fuck you yeah (laughs) so he so they were going in opposite directions so it's nice but it still works which is crazy well and that's the thing that's the best run of x-men ever sometimes two guys who hate each other produce the best stuff yeah you know and then eventually have a fist fight. Right. Yeah, it happens. I used to have a bit in my stand up that I uh, I said the best the best band ever created would have to be a band with Popeye and Bluto in it. Oh, right. Yeah. You have to and have then olive oil would be plain bass. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's interesting because J- when Alex Ross, other than Kurt Busiek, and they're not really known as a team. They've done a couple of things together. But I always uh, I always miss Kurt Busiek when. I mean, Mark Wade did Kingdom Come, but that was really a one-off story that they both had a lot of heart for. Yeah. They didn't do a lot of stuff together. I think it's one of the reasons um, I'm not the biggest fan of Justice, because I felt like 
Justice Alex Ross had this story and like hired a guy he liked, Jim Kruger, to just do it. Yeah. Like he wasn't getting pushed from the other side as much. He was like, yeah, we'll do this. And like Justice is a beautiful looking story, but I've read it like three times. I owned the absolute for a while and sold it. And I'm like, I can't remember what that story was. Yeah, I like Justice a lot. Justice is very similar to Earth X in the sense where Alex Ross has a great love for obviously these characters and had spent many years like many of us writing and coming up with different stories for the characters. And Justice was essentially like, hey, I really like the Legion of Doom. But those characters in that version of the Justice League, they're jokes, you know, Uh, then it was like, how do I take all those characters? He redesigned the entire group. The Brainiac scores made them horrifying. Uh, Brainiac's actually based on Grant Morrison. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. If you look at the original sketches of Brainiac, it's Grant Morrison, because at the time, Grant Morrison was doing All Star Superman. Um, and I guess him and Alex Ross obviously know each other. Um, and he based, the yeah, you don't get to that level him. without meeting the other guys. Definitely. Yeah. Conventions um, alone. So justice was actually Alex Ross did the main plot and then designed all the redesigned all the characters for it. But Doug Braithwaite actually drew it and then right. Alex Ross painted over it. He did the, uh, finishes. Yeah. And I, I wonder why that was, because as we said at the exhibit, we saw so many of his panel of his pencils. Uh, timing. Yeah. But did the when we saw his pencils as we were talking about before they were so fleshed out that i nearly thought oh that's where the real work is for him is in is in blocking the characters doing the panels doing the storytelling and then when he paints it's almost like he's inking himself and he's coloring himself at the same time yeah so that was something that's interesting the way he gave it to doug braithwaite doug braithwaite is a decent artist yeah well, but he's not an alex no Ross. it's not very... like he gave it to like alan davis or right there are paintings that where alex ross has painted over kirby's pencils uh yeah like he, in the jack herby collector and, there, and you can see the synthesis of those two right voices. well yeah i think that was a big surprise for me um a couple years ago but i was older i had already um uh, growing up alex ross was always my favorite artist uh i read marvels uh it was a very young age i think it was collected already so i must have missed it but then kingdom come hit me like a train and um i remember uh not realizing how big an influence Kirby had on Alex Ross. But it's not until you kind of look at these big paintings, especially at this exhibit, you can kind of see these massive paintings. And it's like, this is all Kirby. Yeah. You know, there's a gorgeous, there's a gorgeous, huge, long uh, painting of the Eternals. Yeah. It's incredible. Where it's, yeah, it's Kirby's characters in the same way. There's a great Kirby style Hulk in the fantastic four. But he like embraces the Kirby so hard in that painting, just the way the the backgrounds. Yeah, with the oh, what I liked. Everybody talks about the Kirby crackle, the dots. But my favorite Kirby thing is what I call the Kirby twisty tubes. Every piece of machinery just has these oh, circles yeah. and tubes that go His everywhere. His machinery is insane. Yeah, like the Celestials are just basically beings made up out of twisty tubes. Yeah, they're incredible. Well, and Kirby's one of those where unless you were around during the silver age unless kirby was current you have to get to a certain amount of comic book maturity to appreciate kirby yeah i uh as a kid i didn't get it i didn't understand kirby uh even when i was like 16 17 i was working at the comic shop and uh one of the guys that worked there this guy Stuart, who's like the smartest person i know who has knowledge about comic art that i've encountered in like real life um 
he would talk about Kirby all the time. I'm like, Jack Kirby sucks. I'm like, this guy's terrible. It's like all his fingers are flat. His women are ugly. It's like this guy is a terrible artist. And then I got older and got like an art education. And I was like, I am the dumbest person in the world because Jack Kirby is a goddamn genius. Yeah, when I was a kid, they did this book called Marvel Saga. Yeah. And it was like all the Silver Age comic cut up and put in chronological order. Right. So it was the first time I'd seen a lot of that. Actually, art. I really love Marvel Saga. And it's like, I, uh, it, it was an, there was an essential of it. There was like a black yeah, and white essential. Yeah. I think that's how I had read it because I don't think it's been reprinted anywhere in really good quality, but I would love that book to be reprinted to. Yeah. It, it would make a great omnibus, but I yeah. feel like Marvel would be like, well, it's basically a collection of reprints. And not only that, a so lot how of it's can we charge 100 bucks? Yeah, a lot of it's been retconned, but I remember reading Kirby stuff, and Kirby was one of those people where I was like, all right, I appreciate it. He created all these characters, but this stuff is really ugly. Yeah. And then um, I was working on this book, which uh, it only ended up we, – we did like one issue of this book. But the artist I was working on, this guy Joe Grau, uh, was a Kirby fanatic and a really brilliantly talented guy. And he, he was just like, no, and he broke me down on Kirby. Yeah. And – uh, initially, I got to the point where my favorite run, it's still my favorite run on Kirby, is the Fantastic Four when Joe Sinnott's inking. Because Joe Sinnott took the ugly out of Kirby and made it pretty. Yeah. And it's like like he made Sue really pretty. He made Medusa pretty. Um, but it still had all of Kirby's dynamics. And it's still my favorite artwork. But then once I had really absorbed that, then I started to drift over to to like... The Captain America stuff that Chick Stone, I still love Chick Stone as an inker because it was big, thick lines. Chick Stone did a bunch of Fantastic Four, but he did a lot of Captain America. And those Captain Americas blew me away. Yeah. The Tales of Suspense, because he had 12 pages, those books don't stand still for a Yeah, second. those books are just, uh, it's just, uh, it's explosions on every page. Yeah, like the splash page is always Captain America in the air. Yeah. Like he's never getting a briefing. Right. It's just Yeah, there's, there's no standing around in those books. It's like, it's Captain America just moving through the comic, hitting everybody with a, you know, a boot or a fist. Right. And the artist I was working with was one of those guys who was, you know, he was the Kirby fanatic where he was the fuck Stan Lee version, oh, which yeah. I don't agree with with because you know uh, i always say if stan had done nothing then spider-man wouldn't have been a hit right yeah and well, they're like well that's ditko i'm like well ditko couldn't be as big a hit as kirby and what's the commonality between the two those two guys right you so, know i understand ditko created like other characters but it's like his next biggest character is dr strange Right. Which is with Stan. Right. His biggest character without Stan is the question. Right. Who's arguably more popular as Warshack. A ripoff yeah. of the question. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, yeah, I agree. I uh I typically side with the artist over the writer, but I think it's hard to say that Stanley uh didn't contribute anything. It's like the sto the Stanley's comics are hard to read. They're hard to get through. They're not the it, because comics were so different back then. But that artwork but, is. Uh, but is you've perfect. said it yourself. You compare what Stan was doing, right? Oh yeah, to what like John Broom was doing in the Justice League of America. It is the same month. Yeah, that's a big. Uh, we've talked about that before. Is that look at pick any month of any Marvel book in the sixties and read the same book DC's putting out. And you'd think it was in a separate decade. Yeah. It's that far behind. Yeah. You think it was in the right 50s. in the fifties. Cause that's, they didn't do, do anything like that. And I think it's like, you got to give Stanley credit for that. Um, 
I think it's like, uh, yeah, you're not going to get the Fantastic Four. Kirby's not putting out the Fantastic Four on his own. And you know how you know that? Because uh, look at what he did without Stanley. He did the New Gods. He did the which, New Gods. Which, and that's what the artist who worked with me on that book, Adam, got me into. He's like, oh, start looking at the fourth world. And the fourth world is really fun, but man, is it not mainstream. Right. You're never going to get... Uh, Tom King's writing a New Gods movie now, and I wish him all the luck in the world, but it's going to have to be rebooted and presented to the public in an an accessible way. The same way that uh, the first Thor movie was. The first Thor movie that Kenneth Branagh did, which is a decent movie, we see Kirby, Kirby and Asgard, we have him fight the Destroyer, but mostly... It's just it's Chris Hemsworth walking around a desert talking to Natalie Portman. Right. That's how you sold Thor. And honestly, you didn't sell Thor until you realized Chris Hemsworth was funny in Ghostbusters. Right. But and on that note, then when Thor Ragnarok comes out, all the visuals are Kirby again. You know, yeah. it's like the Grandmaster's like. But that's viewing. not what's front and center of that movie. No, no. But it's like a, it took a lot of visual cues from like, OK, you know, here's the kind of stuff that. Kirby was designing, I mean, like, Hela's crazy headdress. Yeah, that, she's total Kirby, like, yeah. when... Well, thank God, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's one of the things when they were uh, saying they were making Hela in the movie, I was like, oh, there's no way they're going to do that giant headdress helmet. And then she does that, I mean, and I'd seen the designs before the movie came out, but when she slicks her hands through her hair yes. and pulls out that crazy Kirby, like, antler coat rack thing. It's awesome. It's, yeah, it's, it's and it's total Kirby. It's like... There's so many Fantastic Four characters that look like that. Right. But yeah, you, you can see it in Alex Ross. And Alex Ross is one of those guys like Sinnott, where Alex Ross has Norman Rockwell is in his DNA. Like as much oh, as he yeah. loves comics, like that was the first thing I noticed about him. Like, it's like he paints superheroes like he was Norman Rockwell. Yeah. I mean, I think it's in that DC, the mythology counterpart is they, they call him the Norman Rockwell of comics. It's, uh, you know, he knows exactly what he's doing. Um you know, the comics weren't being painted uh, in mainstream uh, very frequently. Not uh, much. Sienkiewicz did a lot of it. Yeah, Sienkiewicz was probably the guy pushing then, that the uh, most. Who's the guy that did Arkham Asylum with Grant Morrison? Oh, Mike McKeon, but he's an, an, an impressionist. No, right, but both of those guys, uh, the, you mentioned that there's this video at the end of the Dave exhibit. McKean, yeah. And at the end of the Alex Ross exhibit, there's a video. And that video I had actually seen because it's uh, Alex Ross has a YouTube channel where they post videos maybe every week or every other week or whatever it is and it's just real quick you know minute or whatever just quick look at the work and then it's his comments on the particular character like he really likes shazam so it shows a bunch of his shazam paintings and then he talks about his love for captain marvel um he in one of these had talked about painting comics and had mentioned those two artists were it was kind of his like oh paint comic books like it hadn't occurred to him until I guess he had seen it and that these people were doing it, that he was like, Oh, I can do this too, but do it in a realistic manner, which neither one of those fellers was doing. So, you know, in a way he kind of carved out his niche for this. Um, you know, you see a lot of modern guys now doing it. Like Asad Ribic is a really good artist. Um, that does a lot of the Thor stuff, all his stuff's painted. And but I don't think you have those guys doing it without Alex Ross. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I don't think as well as Alex Ross is doing it. I think it's like, uh, that's the big thing kind of going through this and the mythology book uh i've had i had since i was in high school when it came out i got it it's been out that long oh yeah why don't i i don't know john i don't know what you're doing with your life well i bought bought marvelosity at the signing that's true i got i don't know where i got mythology 
um maybe one of the conventions i i don't i don't know um but same thing in this book there's um hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sketches of all the different characters and different designs for what they should look like and it's just like um the guy doesn't stop drawing he's just drawing all the time and it's what's really cool about this exhibit is they had some stuff from when he was in school like we talked about they had those early marvel uh portraits or pitches and then now his most modern work which is those marvelosity covers i think of the big one is like they're right those were last year perfect well and what was really interesting is that he doesn't coast like he's a guy that could very easily be like i'm the guy that did kingdom come and just kind of doing that. But right. you can see him pushing. Yeah. And as you said, he, he, they had the Iron Man pitch and they had like some Marvel tryout pages with Spider-Man and Daredevil. And his quotes in it are how much he hates them. Where he's yeah, just like, these, he, I mean, he's critiquing it. He's like, there's a reason Marvel didn't buy this. My inks are terrible. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And we were looking at it going like. There are guys that draw at this level now that are getting work. Yeah, and I've I've said this all the time: is uh, he doesn't have to paint his stuff. He could his pencils, like we said, are tight enough to where he can hand that off to an inker and somebody else can color it. But I think he's got such an idea in his head of what it should look like that he he doesn't allow himself to do that. Well, and to be fair, that's the brand. I mean, right? Do yeah, you want to see an Alex Ross book that's not painted? Mm, yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind it. Really, he, like, he did this one shot. Yeah. Um, um it was during the uh the kingdom come they revisited the world of kingdom come in the jsa monthly book and they did a one shot where um the kingdom come superman right uh he's older right he gets brought to our time and him and our superman have a fight in downtown metropolis and um alex ross drew it inked it not painted it he inked it and then he colored it with something else he didn't paint it it was like but an he experiment did, but he, he still did the whole thing totally totally he just didn't do paint he didn't do paint and the idea was like let's try something a little bit different let's see if i could work a little quicker i think he was under a bit more of a deadline and the book looked phenomenal mm. and it just goes to show it's like this guy could produce a monthly book if he wanted he just can't produce a monthly book um the way he wants to do it well to do a monthly no. book you have to do it as a team effort and do you want do you want to see a book that is written by kurt buziak penciled by alex ross inked by scott Hanna, colored by richard starkings you know um do you want do you want to see him as part of an assembly line i don't think you do i think you want him as that voice and as much as i was saying that justice isn't as interesting because you don't have a Mark Wade or a Kurt Busiek for him to push against. You also don't want him to be, you don't want Alex Ross to be part of a team. Right. You it's know, like you like, want him to do yeah, his vision unfiltered. Like, you know, um, one of my favorite artists, and I don't know that I have a favorite artist, but one of my favorite artists of all time is John Romita Jr. But John Romita Jr. is a team player. Right. Like, I don't need a book that he writes and pencils and inks. And I'm interested in, oh, when Dan Green inks John Romita Jr., he looks like this. When Klaus Jansen inks John Romita Jr., he looks like this. I don't think Alex Ross is that guy. No, yeah. Alex Ross art always looks like Alex Ross art. And I'll say I've got a lot of favorite artists, um, and he's probably the, the, the top of the list. Uh, but I'd also say is um, uh, I was recently listening to uh, Word Balloon had Brian Hitch on 
And he's another one of my favorite artists that I really like. And we love John Suntress. Yeah, and John Suntress is great. Um, but Brian Hitch's work hasn't been as good as Ultimates. Since Ultimates, it's been a noticeably different, to me at least. I don't know if I'm like a crazy person or not. And I would say the same thing about Jim Lee. Jim Lee hasn't been as good as he was on Hush. Hush was no, great. But he wasn't as good as he was before Hush. He wasn't as good uh, right, he before peaked. that either. He peaked. That was like, and we were just talking about this because I've been obsessed with Hush ever since that animated movie came out because I read it again and I've been getting the DC Direct figures again. And then I read Superman for Tomorrow, which was disappointing. And um, you're right. He, X-Men is not as good as Hush. Like that right, is yeah. his absolute He's... peak. Where He also had a lot to prove. There's a really good YouTube video where he talks about how he was the guy that missed deadlines. And we were just talking before we recorded about his Fantastic Four run. That f- first issue was gorgeous. The second issue is rushed. The third issue has some help from guys in his studio. By the time you get to issue seven, Jim Lee's not even on it. Right, he's off the book at that point. So a lot of it, he said he had bets going with people in the industry of like, You can't do I it. I bet you can't do all 12 issues, and I bet they won't ship on time. Yeah. And he, he I think he started seven months early. Yeah, I mean, he ended up getting it done, but yeah, how much time do you have to bake in to accomplish it? And he also, he also like did some weird stuff in that book. I forget there all the flashbacks are watercolor that yeah, he did himself. Uh, yeah, those are uh, completely Jim Lee. That uh, Scott Williamson didn't touch those panels. Yeah, so which he was, is an interesting. Uh, he concept. was pushing himself on that. But you're right. Since then, he's kind of gone back to say more of his Wildcats image style, like. The art in For Tomorrow was good. Brian Azzarello, Brian Azzarello's story was a little weird. It was, I mean, this book is now 15 years old, but I was like, it was not a blockbuster superhero story. Right. We, it, and I just finished it yesterday. I never finished it because I dropped it. And as I was reading it, the only thing I kept thinking of like was, why did the editors greenlight Azzarello for this? Because the genius of Jeff Loeb on Hush was Jeff Loeb was like, and now here's a reason for you to fight Killer Croc. And now here's a reason for you to fight Harley Quinn. And now here's a reason for you to fight Ra's al Ghul. Right, they just had him, it was the rogues gallery. It was, he just found story reasons to do big, big superhero action. And there's almost none in Superman for Tomorrow. And then Justice League Origin, Jeff Johns tries to do that. But you can tell in Justice League Origin, Jim Lee's not spending as much time as he did on Hush. Yeah, he's rushed again. Yeah, like when Batman shows up in Justice League Origin, I remember that first issue, which I bought from you, because you had just opened. And I was like, Jeff Johns, Jim Lee, Justice League, I'm in. And... The first panel where Batman shows up, my reaction was like, oh, that's not a hush, Batman. Right. It's noticeably different. And the the point I'm making is um, no other artist I'm aware of uh, uh, just kind of goes up in quality and or maintains the level of quality that they put out. Alex Ross is one of them. Like Carlos Pacheco is another artist. I love mm-hmm. Carlos Pacheco. His stuff recently has been noticeably uh, uh, lesser than his previous work. It's like there's not a lot of dudes that are consistently turning out quality work. Um, And Alex Ross is one of those guys where it's like he never, never doesn't look great, no matter what he's doing. And he does a lot of weird stuff. He does a lot of superpowers at Dynamite. Beatles for a year. Beatles stuff. He'll he'll take time off. He's doing all Star Trek, Star Wars painting is pretty great yeah uh you know he's got a spawn cover coming out for spawn 300 and it's like uh he, everybody's got a spawn 300 cover right I, i'm surprised i don't have a spawn yeah. 300 cover. <laughs> but it's like the guy's just he's always on and i think that's a really difficult thing to do um and there's a lot of um 
he's reaching a lot further than a lot of other uh comic artists are and i'm not talking just because he's painting and that's harder to do because he's kind of doing the whole process instead of leaving it up to like an ink or a color but it's like there's pitches there's i mean these books are packed with uh he designs logos for every book that he works on all the logos for every marvels uh kingdom come earth x all that stuff he did all the logo work it's like um he's very invested in all aspects of the creation of the comic and usually as guys get older um the only way to to keep the quality up is to do less work where it's like, Oh, I've waited two years for this one issue. Like you don't see a lot of Mike Mignola work anymore. And when you do, it's something special. Right. But that's the thing that really turned my head around. And if you can get to Libertyville in the next five days, yeah. <laughs> um, go which see- we would totally recommend because I, I agree with you. When we looked at the Marvelocity altogether, I'm like, he's cranking out, at the pace that a guy does like a page of panels a day. The greatest thing in the world. This week. So the Mezco 112 I've been waiting for since I started looking at 112s came today. And uh, it's the Batman that's in the classic, going back to the Bronze Age, is in the Neil Adams colors, the blue and gray. And it's a re-release of the one they did in all black, the costume patterns are exactly the same the accessories are the same nothing else has changed but it's so perfectly dead on just it's just a slight color shift and i'm i'm a bronze age kid myself i'm like i'm a i'm like end of bronze age where i always talk about secret wars and post-crisis and that's my batman is he's blue and gray the way he was in adam west but he's lean and he's muscular and that pre- Pre-92, pre-Nightfall. Yeah. Because once he comes out of Nightfall, then he's in basically the comic version of the Tim Burton outfit. Uh, So I love that Batman. And this does everything that the the other Mezcos do, but he's in just the right colors. And he pops just enough. Like, in a, you put him in the shadows and you can still see him because of the blue. Yeah. Uh, He's just as posable as every... Other Mezco, as I said, it's basically the same figure, but I had pre-ordered it like nine months ago. Did you like forget about it and then it just showed up? No. Um, when the regular version came out, people started raving about it that I was like, I'll get that one too. And now I have like eight or nine Mezcos. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been on top of it enough where I got the, the San Diego exclusive this year. I don't think I mentioned this San Diego exclusive this year was commissioner Gordon and a bat signal. And had I not already been buying Mezcos, I probably oh, would have this would have broke you. And that's already going for double on eBay because it sold out within an hour. Yeah. That's so crazy. now I'm I'm at the point where I'm like, yeah, I buy every single Batman. I'm a Mezco guy now. Um, Marvel, I will cherry pick. Yeah. Well, then you'll give uh, because of budget. Yeah, yeah. I have a Spider-Man, a Wolverine, and an Iron Man. Yeah. That's about it. And I'm questioning. There's like a Cyclops coming and a Gambit and a Cable. And I'm like, mm. I skipped Captain America. They still haven't done Thor. Yeah, they'll do them eventually. Yeah, they'll do them eventually. It's easy to do. So, uh, but this fig, it's so funny because this figure completely lived up to all of my expectations. Yeah. And I realize I'm bringing 40 years of expectations because what I've always wanted is a Marvel Legends posable Bronze Age Batman. And the Mattel one, I love the Mattel ones from DC Universe Classics. Yeah. Uh, and they came close, but they're not quite as posable as Marvel Legends. And I'm like, yeah, this one is. Gotta go a little further. Yeah. 
So um, unfortunately, this was going to be my one in, one out. That ain't happening because I pre-ordered the Harley Quinn, which comes out next year. Yeah. And then they just announced this week, uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, they're doing basically a Dark Knight Returns version. Because they, they're basically doing uh, a trilogy of Batman figures where they did one that's based on the bo- first Bob Kane appearance where he looks really young. This one in the blue and gray, they've done in all black and they've done in black and gray. And it's like mid thirties, Bruce Wayne. They're doing a Dark Knight Returns in that style. Yeah. With like their ex- they And it's funny because they started with Dark Knight Returns and I had had that years ago. But it wasn't that great a figure, to be honest. It was like an experiment. And, and there I, were two of them, right? You had two of them, I think? Yeah, there was a, there, I had three. There was a, the black and gray, blue and gray, and then there was a battle damage two-pack with the mutant leader. Yeah. And they were interesting, but I sold them for way more than I paid. Uh, but this is, now they've kind of got their style. They're going to come back. Yeah, they've kind of like figured it out. They know what they're doing. So. They're going to they're gonna do it their way, and it, they're just going to continue to be great. Yeah. Uh, so this is the first... Um, the the uh the girls are out of town. They're uh going down to Florida with uh, uh Lainey's family lives in Florida, so they they drove down there, and uh so I have like a, a run of the uh, rooster house or the hen house. You know what I mean? There's no one else here, and uh I rarely watch television, but I had a free night, so I was like, I'm gonna see what's on Netflix that I haven't checked in six months. And um, it was not the Dark Crystal show. It wasn't the Dark Crystal show. Because <laughs> that just not. launched and it already gave me the creeps. Right. And I think a part of the problem I'm having with trying to find something to watch or to get into is that uh, there's a lot of stuff coming that I really am excited about. Um, the Marvel shows, the Mandalorian show, the Jeff Goldblum show. It's like uh, that Disney app is going to be lit. <laughs> there's a lot of awesome stuff coming on that. Yeah. So uh, did I mention the crazy Labor Day sale they have right now? Yes. Yeah. I think so. You get like 16 months free if you become a D23 you member. You have to do it this weekend. You have to do it as soon as this podcast comes yeah. out. <laughs> um, uh, but so I went on Netflix and I was very bored with every option available. But I do gravitate. New Dave Chappelle special. And that's exactly what I was going to talk oh, about. Is sorry. that I, uh, I gravitate towards stand-up comedy a lot. And I think it's one of like the things we we talk about a fair amount on the podcast, but not, yeah, well, not I, a quite quite a lot. Well, I love it. I I used to yeah, do have, it, and I'm, I'm it, probably yeah. never going to do it again. But I still love to watch it. So I watch I watch Chappelle's immediately. Yeah, and I I had I had heard it had come out from one of the guys on set. Um, you know, like a week or two ago, told me that he had a new special, and then forgot about it because life. Uh, but I did check it out, and it's one of those things where it's like uh. I, I don't know who my favorite stand-up comedian is, but Dave Chappelle is definitely in the top three. It's just like, I keep thinking uh, he'll put out a special and I won't really care about it, or he'll put out a special and I'll just kind of, it'll be okay. And it's like, the guy's always on top of it. And um, I, I, I don't know. A lot of people don't like Dave Chappelle because it's like... Um, his humor is crass or something. I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, he offends a lot of people, but it's like, he's telling jokes. Let's remember this. Um, but I think the guy's actually like a really, really smart comedian. And, um, it's good to see that we didn't break Dave Chappelle (laughs) when he went to like Africa and everything. He came back. He's, he's doing okay. He put out a new special. Well, he hosted that episode of Saturday Night Live right after the election. And it was, it was amazing. Like he hasn't lost a step. And I saw him, um, I saw him in college, actually, in my student lounge, was there was a microphone and he just got up and basically did an open mic. And then I saw him about a year or two later 
in Washington Square Park. I was walking through it and he was in the middle of the circle in Washington Square Park. And he was just no amplification. He was just yelling his act to whoever would listen. Yeah. And I was like, that's a guy that was in my student lounge. He wasn't anybody yet. Though, wasn't right? anybody. This is like mid nineties. And then, uh, but then I saw him, uh, at the comedy cellar one night when I was doing stand up at the improv, a bunch of friends of mine, um, guys that have been on the show since really good friends of mine. We all went to the comedy cellar all night Yeah, and he showed up at midnight, just walked in, was not on the bill yeah. and did an hour and a half. And it was amazing. And so I've been able to watch this guy because the first time I saw him, he wasn't that great. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's, Nobody a, it's is. a skill like anything. Yeah. And it's like it's good to see uh, when these guys do come back um, and they do a new special or something. It's like they haven't lost a step or, you know, this, the guy still got it. Um, and he's still got things to say. You know, it's like uh, he's he's just really good. And um yeah, it's called yeah. Sticks and Stones. It's yes. it's a really good one. Well, if you'd like to let us know what you were into, if you'd like to uh, tell us how fast you could get to Libertyville yeah. and see this Alex Ross exhibit, there's ways to get in touch with us. You can follow me at Not In My Book on Instagram and Twitter. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social network feed. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash caffeinatedcomics, where we're posting all the news and every now and then a joke that I think is really good. Yeah. Uh, and if you leave a comment there or if you add us, um, we almost always see it. It's very, it's very rare that I find something in my inbox that's been there for a little bit. Um, and Steven, how do we follow you? How do um, we follow the show? You could follow me on Instagram at the brave butter pecan. Uh, you can find the show on Spotify, Stitcher and iTunes. And we will talk to you next week.